All right, church family, glad you're here. Uh, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to dive in and then pray, pray on the, spend some time in prayer on the backside. Um, so let me remind you, the, the, the cheat sheet uh, is the same as last week. I, I went ahead and put both together last week, just so if you save it, you've kind of got both resources uh, there. So I want to remind us last week, we looked at angels, and there's a reason in talking about angels and demons, we start with angels. Because once upon a time, it was just angels. And then there was a rebellion. And we'll look at that tonight and see, then that beget demons. So remind you what our definition of angels is uh, on, on your cheat sheet. Uniquely created, immortal spirit beings, which possess a level of limited power and intelligence, as well as personality and morality, who serve primarily as messengers of the Lord, protectors of and ministers to God's people, and warriors who execute God's judgment. So we saw last week that the angels were uniquely created sometime prior to the formation of the physical universe. Uh, we see that they're immortal, meaning they, they have a beginning, but they do not have an end. Uh, they are spirit in their essence. And, and, and what does spirit look like, feel like, seem like? Don't know. Uh, the scripture doesn't define it more than that. It just tells us they're spirit, they're spirit beings. But as spirit beings, they possess the ability to appear, to, to interact, to relate, to touch, to, to engage in the physical universe. Uh, they possess a, a, a heightened level of power, a heightened level of intelligence, though they do not possess all power or all intelligence. We said that real clearly. When you get to the omnis, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, only God possesses the omnis. Every other being can only be in one place at one time. So the angels may move about with, with a great swiftness more, more quickly than we are able to. They are certainly more intelligent at this point than we are. They certainly have a much greater power than we do at this point, but it is also limited. They don't have anything in an unlimited manner. And, and as far as uh, we also say they have individuality, personality, the ability to relate, to speak, to engage, morality, angels, or by default, those who, who uh, honor God's righteousness and, and walk, in, walk out uh, His morality. And we see what they serve. They serve as messengers of the Lord, protectors and ministers to God's people, and warriors who execute God's judgment. Now, when you come to their purpose there, what you're going to watch ultimately tonight is the demons are entirely inverted from that. They're not messengers to God's people. They're condemners of God's people. They're not warriors who execute God's judgment. They're those who fight in rebellion against the Lord's rule and the Lord's things. So we'll see that tonight. Now, as we talk about demons, I, I just, I was trying to think through, the reality is all of us in here, none of us in here probably have all the same influence as far as how we think about demons, what are there. But I try to just kind of make a list of things that uh, if you're a person living in the last 50 years, what, what might impact your ideas of demons. Certainly in culture, you've got your horror movies. So some of us, our, our, our version of demons is influenced by the exorcist or things like that that are out there in pop culture. Some of us, our view of demons is influenced by things like naturalism where we're like, ah, yeah, there's a spiritual realm, but I just choose to keep my mind out of that and on the here and now and what's right in front of me. 
And so it's as if it doesn't exist. Uh, some of us are deeply influenced by things that really do flow out of Roman Catholic theology. Uh, there, there's a, I'm always fascinated by what pops up on my Instagram search engine when I go click just search, and I get a variety of things. But sometimes, and it'll always, it'll always be like certain days, it'll always clump certain things together. So there's some days where I get all of these uh, videos and, and, and uh, stories of all these, uh, the best way I would put them is like evangelical in terms of evangelist, not, not evangelistic, evangelistic Catholics. That's how I'd put it. Like they're actively trying to show and modernize and show people how great the Catholic faith is. And one of them was all about uh, the, um, the, the incredible faith of those who've chosen to take the hard road of being an exorcist. And that, but that is heavy and deep inside of Roman Catholic theology. And there's a lot of things that unpack that come with that that are there. Uh, for some of us, you're gonna be deeply influenced by about 100 years ago when what is what we would know today is the charismatic movement and all the various branches of the charismatic movement, which, which can take some of the truths that are here tonight and explode them into all different ways and things that become dangerous to where all of a sudden, you're, you're scared if you sneeze. Was, was, was that you or was that a demon? And what's that demon's name? And you better call it out right now and this and that. And all of a sudden we get into all sorts of wackiness. Some of us are gonna be deeply influenced. Some of you are probably no doubt C.S. Lewis fans and you've read screw tape letters, which is, a theolo- which is a theoretical conversation between two demons on how to go after and, and blindside questions. And undoubtedly there's probably some in here who uh, uh, read This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness by Frank Peretti and how things were presented there. My, my whole point is, and then not only that, but as we've already established, I'll, probably all of us are impacted by, by Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry uh, demonology and, and the things that come there. So the whole point is just to say, you need to understand as we walk through this tonight, all of us have all sorts of different influences that come in and give us certain ideas and certain pictures. And part of what we need to do as we look at scripture is be able to identify what is scripture, again, just like angels, what does scripture clearly tell me and what goes beyond that? And let's stick to what scripture clearly tells me. And, and so ultimately, let me give you a simple definition for demons, and we're gonna, we got a lot of ground to cover in Scripture. Demons are angels, former angels, who rebelled against God and against their assigned place and role in God's creation. That's, that's what a demon is. The demons are former angels. They rebelled against God's rule. They rebelled against what God created for them to do in their place in creation. They rebelled. If you'll go with me, uh, second to last book of Scripture is Jude. Hey, Jude. And it's fascinating. I love the book of Jude. I've taught through it twice before. Uh, There's all sorts of interesting things in here. But here's what I want you to see as we go to Jude. Just one chapter. But look at Jude verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain or their own place of authority, their own place of ruling, but abandoned their proper abode, God has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And then if you flip to the left just a couple pages, you're going to end up in 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 4, and it's going to say this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and he did not spare, and he's going to go on to talk about the ancient world in Noah's day. Here's, here's 
where I give you right off the bat, what you see in these two scriptures is the fact that there were beings who were created as angels and, and part of their, who, who rebelled, and we'll see more of that in a moment, but part of their rebellion is they rebelled against their domain and the, the proper abode God made for them. And God did not hesitate to deal with them, to judge them. And notice Second Peter, just as a reminder, where does he send them? Hell. So hell is not Satan's kingdom, This world, as we'll see in a moment, this world is Satan's kingdom. Hell is God's kingdom. It's the place in God's kingdom where his justice and judgment is poured out on all wickedness, whether that be from Satan and the demons or those humans who reject his salvation. Throughout scripture, we see various terms for demons. Demons, devils, and terms spirits can be used. By, by fact that they were former angels, it means demons bear all the same distinctions, abilities, and limitations as angels. So understand, it means demons are immortal beings. They, they had a beginning, but they don't have an end. They have a level of power and intelligence and swiftness that is greater than ours. They have personality meaning they're not just some kind of way that we personalize just this generic darkness. No, there are individual demons with real names because they were angels with names. They have personality. They can be talked to just the same as angels can talk to humans. They can be engaged with just the same as we saw angels engage with humans. They have morality. Now theirs is a morality of rebellion. And if you remember, as we looked at last week, angels who have fallen as demons, they do not get any opportunity to reconcile to God. None. They do not have an offer of salvation like we have. But there is a distinction. Angels have the glory, favor, and power of God backing them, demons do not. So while demons have these things, while they have a power and an intelligence that's greater than our own, they do not have the backing of God. And just as I, I, I'll put this in here, because they are personal and can be, just on a practical level, is it possible for someone who advertises themselves as a psychic or a medium and somehow correctly predict something of the future. Is it possible they're just a charlatan and they just know how to read stuff? Yeah, we got plenty of examples of that. Is it possible that they could be in tune with an actual demon who, because they have a certain level of power, are able to do something and then give that person a level of insight? Sure. But understand that is severely limited because demons do not know everything. They are not in full control and God's will will always trump demon activity. Okay, but understand that it's real. So, but here's where we're going to go from this. We're going to start, rather than looking at demons broadly, we're going to start with the demon who's known most of all. We're going to start with Satan. We're going to start with Satan, who Satan is and where he comes from. We're going to see throughout scriptures, we look here in a moment, Satan is the original harbinger of sin. He is the initiator of the the rebellion of the, the angels in heaven. He's the leader of the fallen angels we call demons. His name, Satan, means adversary. That's what he is. He is the adversary of God's people. We see throughout Scripture, he's called by the name the devil, the serpent, Beelzebub. He's called the ruler of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. 
He's called a murderer. He's called the father of lies. Uh, we also know him by the name Lucifer, which Lucifer is actually just a Latin translation of the Hebrew word, which means morning star. And we'll show you where we get that from. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Now, as we look here at this passage in Isaiah, and we're going to look at one in Ezekiel, let me just remind you that these are prophetic passages, okay? So there is a real tangible, real world meaning to what they're referring to. They're going to refer to the king of Tyre, and there's a real king of Tyre that they're pronouncing judgment on. But there are some things like biblical prophecy does a lot of times. There are some things in there that go on to describe somebody that doesn't seem to be a human ruler. And that's why we discern in these things where we see the origin of Satan. So Isaiah chapter 14, look with me at verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Where you get Lucifer from, Latin translation of the Hebrew word, O morning star. O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cut down from the earth, you who have weakened the nations. Now understand right there, what human king has been said to have weakened all the nations? That seems to go beyond just a human king. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So here this individual, this bright morning star who has weakened the nations, there is something in, this, in, in his spirit that said, I see God seated on high and I will become like him. In fact, I will go over him. Here is my ambition. I will overthrow the God of the stars. And of course, you see the judgment here. Nevertheless, verse 15, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Now turn with me as well, a little bit to the right, to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Ezekiel 28, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. The whole chapter is talking about the overthrowing of the king of Tyre. Tyre is that region just north of Israel. It's that region when you think of where we went through the Old Testament, Baal, uh, where, where Jezebel's father, king of Sidon, Tyre, that's that area. So you're talking about a real, a real reality here. But in the midst of this chapter, we see some interesting things that can't apply to the normal king of Tyre. Look, verse 11, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Well, that can't apply to any human outside of Adam and Eve before the fall. So it can't, that can't apply to the king of Tyre because the king of Tyre never had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. For you were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, goodness knows the current king of Tyre was not in the garden of God in Eden. We're dealing with something different here. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold. Your workmanship, and the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you on the day you were created. So we're also not referring somehow to Jesus because 
Jesus certainly has the seal of perfection. He is wisdom and beauty personified. He was absolutely in the garden, but he wasn't created because Jesus is fully God. He has always been God. He will always be God. Dealing with someone different here. On the day you were created, the day that they were prepared, you were, you were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. You were on the holy, of, the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you have profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. All the eyes of, and the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the people are appalled at you. You will become terrified and you will cease to be forever. So here's what you have a picture of. You have a picture of a creative being, created being that was there in the Garden of Eden that was on God's holy mountain, that was the, the cover cherub who, who seems to be occupying a position of supreme hierarchy amongst these spiritual beings that we would, we would use broadly the term angels. And this being became conceited. Do you see that? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. There was an arrogance about how beautiful this being was, about how great this being could be. And the, and the, and the reasoning, instead of recognizing the only greatness I have is because God who created me gave it to me. Go back to Isaiah, I will make myself above the most high. So I just see right from the beginning at the heart of Satan's rebellion against God is unbelievable, unbridled arrogance. I am great. I am wise. I am beautiful. I mean, understand the, um, the, the level of audacity and the arrogance, okay? I, I, I have always since I was a kid and to this day, I love, I think Legos are one of the greatest man-made inventions. I do. But if you, if you go to the Lego store and get in their little bins where you can make a little minifigure, now let's pretend it's that we live in a toy story world where, where the toys can come up to life. If I, as a human being, make a little Lego minifigure and that minifigure goes, you know what? I'm gonna overthrow my maker. Do you realize the absolute absurdity of that? A Lego figure can only move the legs in this direction. They can only move their arms in this direction. They can, there's no possible way. That is a fraction of the absurdity of any created being looking at the most high God and going, I will overthrow you. But that's what Satan did. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 12. In doing this, Revelation chapter 12 makes this statement. Now I realize there can be a little bit of debate over Revelation 12 and where does this fall in timeline and, and, and this and that, but, but it's important to help us understand as far as Satan in relationship to the demons. 
So it says in, in chapter 12, verse 3, there is another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten thorns. And on his head were, were, and on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before, uh, before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child. And then go down to verse seven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels were waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in, in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels, his angels were thrown down with him. Where do we get the idea that Satan led a rebellion in heaven and took a third of the host of heaven with them? Right there. Now remember, when we said about angels last week, what, how many angels are there? Myriads upon myriads. There's a finite number of angels, but that number is so great, we can't comprehend it. So when you say that Satan led a, led in a, a rebellion in heaven and he convinced a third of that massive number of angels to go with him into that rebellion, understand this, there are a lot of demons, plenty enough to cover the globe to influence heart and minds of people born into iniquity and sin. So this is Satan. He is the leader. He's a, he, Satan. In reality, this is what Satan is. On one hand, Satan is just another fallen angel, right? It's not like he was a different class, like there's angels and then there's this other class of being and Satan was the only one of that being. And no, he's, he falls in that category of angelic beings. Now it seems to be, at, he's at the hierarchy of that, but he is another fallen angel, which also means just like our definition of demons, that he possesses all the same limits, of angels. Does Satan have power greater than ours? Oh, absolutely. Does Satan have way far greater wisdom than you and I do? Ooh, absolutely. Can Satan move swiftly and do things that you and I can't? Oh, absolutely. But understand, Satan can actually only be in one literal space in either the spiritual or physical realm at a time. And this is not, this is not a rebuke on anybody, but think about whenever you, you, you know, you come in, how, how are you doing, brother? Man, I just feel like the enemy's really just been coming against me. Satan's really been attacking me. Well, and listen, this is not a rebuke on that kind of language, but just so we understand logically, most likely it's not Satan attacking us. Because if Satan's attacking you and he's attacking me at the same time and he's attacking believers in North Korea, well, it can't be Satan because he can only be in one place at one time. Because he is a fallen angel who bears all the same limitations. But how on earth could his forces be attacking you and attacking me? And atta well, because if a third of myriads of myriads went with them, well, then obviously you have a massive, uh, Scripture calls them his angels, you have a massive force. It also means this, Satan at the end of the day is a created being. And I want to be emphatically clear on that because you have other cults and religions that use the name Jesus and trappings of Christianity, but then make claims that Jesus and Satan are both created beings and brothers. Or that Satan, Satan isn't created, he's always been and there's this battle. 
Understand, Satan is a created being. And when you look out, and I'll come back to this point later on, it would probably be next week when we look at spiritual warfare. When you look out at the reality of the battle that we face, it is not a battle where God and his forces are on this side and his equal adversary, Satan, and his forces are on this side. There is no equal to our God. There's none. There, there's no equal battle. There, there, there's, it's, why the, it's why when we see the final battle, it will be the most un-Hollywood, anticlimactic ending, and it will be the ending to everything. Because all the forces of evil are going to line up and you're going to be looking going, wow, this is better than anything Lord of the Rings could have ever given us on screen. And then it's going to go, boom, fire falls, all done. God wins. Oh, wait, he already, already won. So I want to be clear and emphatic on that. Satan is a created being. Yes, is there a greatness to him that is greater than us? Yes. That's why we better pay attention. But is there any aspect of his quote-unquote greatness that is remotely comparable to God? Not a bit. Not a bit. And it's interesting, at the same time, there's this interesting part in Jude. This course, this is... By the way, how, how many of you have ever just like in-depth studied the book of Jude? Anybody? That's what I thought. No one ever reads the book of Jude. It's one chapter. It's, 20, it's 24 verses, 25 verses. But there's all sorts of crazy stuff in the book of Jude. Here's, here's this example. Verse 9, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, it's actually in the context of him saying, you've got some false teachers among you who just seem to think they can order around this demon and that demon and make all these claims. And you need to understand that not even the archangel Michael would do that against Satan. So watch yourself. Which that can speak to some of the extreme things that have gone on with the charismatic movement. But the archangel Michael even seemed to have a certain respect for what, for what Satan has. Well, that would go back to if in original creation, Satan was really the cover of the cherub, the, 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 great, the great angel of all the angels, then that would explain why that is. So what does Satan do? Look at John chapter 8 with me. The Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own natures for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's what this tells us. Who sinned first? Satan. If you trace where does sin start, where does it get back to? Ultimately, sin's going to get back to Satan. Satan is the originator of sin. This says that not only in his action does he bring sin, but it says he is a murderer. He is a murderer. He's not someone who just wants to casually mess things up and, 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 and get some comic relief out of things going astray. He is a murderer, a cold-hearted, calculated destroyer of life. It says he is a, a liar. I jumped ahead. It says he's a murderer. His aim, the aim of Satan, and therefore the aim of all the demonic hosts, because realize, ask this question. If Satan's already been defeated, then what is he doing? 
And I know some of you have asked that because we've had conversations. If Satan's already been defeated, Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Sin, he, he's already, he's, he's crushed the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15. What's Satan doing? He's doing whatever he can to do two things under the same category. What is he doing? He's trying to cause as much destruction, chaos, and murder as he possibly can. Amongst who? God's chosen image bearers, which he is not. We already know he struggles with arrogance and insecurity. So that means for the lost, 1 Corinthians 4, says there is a veil of the enemy over their hearts. He will do whatever it takes to keep the lost from coming to faith in Christ. I mean, I understand how remarkable then the fact that any of us are saved is because not only did we have our own shackles in death and sin, but we also had an enemy who was actively trying to keep us from responding to Christ. And Christ beat both of it and saved us. What does Satan also want to do in the life of the believer? Well, Satan obviously can't keep us from Christ in the sense of salvation. But Satan has an idea of the fullness of joy and peace and harmony that God wants us to have in that salvation and relationship with him. And he will do whatever it takes to keep us from experiencing remotely this, the fullness of that that we're supposed to experience now. Which will then also impact the evaluation of our lives before Jesus into eternity. He's against, God, he's against God's people. This goes back to 1 Chronicles 21.1. He stands up against Israel. 1 Peter chapter 5 speaks of this imagery, be, uh, speaking, speaking to us as believers. Makes this statement. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxiety on him. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. By the way, lions hunt at night. When we have the toughest time being aware, they roar at night to disorient and intimidate their prey. And his aim is complete and total destruction. There, there's a great, and it's okay, it's, it's okay if you haven't seen it, but there's... Um, <clears throat> You've got, you've got the, the battle of superhero movies for the last decade. You've got the Marvel movies, you've got the DC movies. Now you're going to go, oh my gosh, Pastor, why the heck are you bring comics up? I'm not, I am, but, I, but I'm not what you think. And all the Marvel movies, the big bad guys, Loki. What's Loki? The god of mischief. What does Loki want to do? He just wants to, just wants to have a good time watching everything go haywire. Ah, you know, he, he, he's the class clown who pulls off the pranks. And there's a tendency for us to probably think of the end, and that's not Satan. If you go back and watch the, the, the Dark Knight, the Batman movie, The Dark Knight, there's this scene in the middle of the movie. Batman is trying to figure out, like every cop does, what's, what's the bad guy's MO? What, what is he after? What's he going after? What's the purpose? What's he trying to do? And he's talking with Alfred, trying to figure out what is the Joker doing? And Alfred tells this story, and he comes to the end and he says this, he tells a story about some thieves in the jungle who were stealing, who were stealing all these jewels and treasures. And he was part of a group trying to find them, and, 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 and they could never catch them. They could never figure it out. And one day they saw these kids playing with those jewels that were soccer ball sized. The thieves were just stealing them and tossing them away. 
And he made this statement. He, he said, Master Wayne, you need to understand, some men just want to see the world burn. There's no ultimate motive. There's no victory for them. They just want to see the most malevolent destruction and maliciousness they can possibly see caused. Understand, that is our enemy. That is Satan. That is the demonic forces. That is what they are after. They're not just after to cause a little mischief on the way to heaven. They are bent to cause as much possible destruction in our lives and the lives of people in the world as possible. It says that he's a liar. He is a liar. So if he is a murderer bent on destruction, he's also a liar who is brilliant in his deception. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. No wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So guess what? When you go to the costume store and you see those nasty red with the gnarly looking horns and just evil wicked looking beings and you're like, oh, Satan, guess what? That's not what Satan looks like. It's a great trick to make us think he looks like that. Because there's no human being who would look at that and go, ooh, that's attractive. I want this guy on my side. Now understand this, Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light. That means there is something attractive, alluring, seductive. There's something that gratifies, there's a reason people gravitate there. He is a liar. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. We see this all the way back to Genesis. When the first time we see Satan pop up, the serpent, did God really say? And proceeds to quote some of what God said and twist some of what God said. That's what he does because there's no word that comes out of the mouth of Satan or any demon that is true, none. Which again, I remind you, this is why John, 1 John tells us, John says in 1 John, test the spirits. Test the spirits because you possess the ability to hear things that angels and demons are gonna say and there is nothing a demon says that has any truth in it because they're of Satan, the father of lies. Not only that, but think of the audacity. I mean, just again, think of the audacity of Satan. I'm a created being. I'm going to overthrow my creator. That's crazy. But then your creator takes on flesh, Matthew chapter four, and go look at the things that Satan tries to tempt Jesus with. Ultimately going, Jesus, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. You really think that you own those kingdoms and you can give them to God? Yeah, it really does. Because that's what he tried to tempt Jesus with. I tell you that to say that there is no... What, am I, what are the words I'm looking for? The enemy is not, there is nothing he is too shy to throw out. If he can go after the God of the universe and the ways he goes after Jesus, understand there is no punches he will pull in our lives. He is a liar. And I'll remind all of this again, something that is 99.9% .9 true is always 100% a lie. Always. And this is exactly, it is brilliant 
where we are at as a culture right now in America. It's brilliant. When I was in college and the homosexual movement was really gaining national steam a little over a decade ago, this is what I heard. Hey, it's okay to be gay. Your faith is wrong. That is not what I heard as a college pastor. Today, it's, it's okay to be gay. We'll show you why the Bible says it's okay in the Greek because your pastors lied to you. That's the enemy. Today, we've got everything on a spectrum. We got two polarized spectrums. Should we as believers, we're in James right now. James is going hard on the church. You have an obligation. You have a responsibility as a church to show mercy and to take tangible action to care for the poor in your society. Is it biblical to care for the poor? Yes. But you have that truth being stretched all the way over here by the social gospel, by progressive Christianity that adds all these new layers of oppression that takes on a, a Marxist mindset in order to deal with it, not realizing Marxist at, Marxism at its root is everything without God. So you have this extreme distorting the true right care that we should have for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. You have this extreme that's blowing up things about systems and structures and, and systemic this and systemic that, taking it to extremes that aren't true when the reality is, is it possible to have a broken system? Yeah, it's possible. We live in a broken world. It's possible for anything in this world to be broken. And if it's broken, we as believers should be for fixing it. But it's been hijacked. But you also have an equal and opposite reaction, which is over here, which is that of legitimate, uh, this is one example, legitimate Christian nationalism. Someone out of the day came out today and said, no, the, the church should absolutely take over the government and force everybody to do what the Bible says. No, that's not what the Bible says. That's what the Roman Catholic Church tried to do in, in medieval times. And look how much we're still paying the price and our witness for it. Oh, is the enemy not good? By the way, we're going to look at it this Sunday. Faith without action is dead. And what's James' famous statement? You say, I believe orthodox theology about God. I, I, I'm, I'm an orthodox theologian. I got all the correct beliefs about God. <laughs> awesome. So does every demon. And they shudder in terror, but you won't even act. Our inaction. I mean, there's, there's, my whole point is this, church family. The enemy is gifted. And the primary way we tend to think he attacks is the way my football coach put it. My football coach was a goofy man, but he could come up with some great examples. We tend to think of the enemy fighting like a boxer. I'm throwing my punch at you. You're throwing your opposite punch back at me. That's not really how the enemy attacks most of the time. The enemy attacks like a kind of martial artist who doesn't try to fight your momentum, but takes your own momentum, uses it against you to an extreme and puts you on the ground. The enemy doesn't need to, to come at us with counters that are totally false. He can just take little lies of things that are true and twist them to take us steps over the edge. Not only will he lie to us, but Revelation 12 says he's the accuser. He stands and condemns us. He condemns us for how terrible we are, how awful we are. He condemns us. Not only that, but those who really are tied to Satan, according to 2 Thessalonians, some of them will possess the ability to do actual signs and wonders. 
That means there, are, there is the ability to be tied into the demonic to such a point that you can do something seemingly supernatural. Now, not because you have all power, even over that, God is sovereign and God places limits, but there is that ability. So if this is all of Satan, then what do the demons do? Well, the demons follow right in line. They use lies, deception, murder, every other kind of destructive action to cause people to turn away from God and destroy themselves. They seek to blind people to the gospel. They seek to keep people in bondage to things that would keep them from coming to God. With Christians, they'll try to use temptation, doubt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, or any other possible means to hinder our witness and our enjoyment of the fullness of Christ. We know from Ephesians 2 that Satan and the demons are the drivers of culture. That's where they rule. It's not hell, it's culture. And it's why as believers, I am not saying that God cannot use culture to convict us as a church in an area where we're not doing something well. If that happens, then we need to recognize it, repent, let the Lord deal with us, and then we need to influence culture. But too often today what I see our movements in culture that might expose a gap in our faith. But then rather than us repenting of the gap, we allow the culture to continue to pull us to one of these extremes or these extremes or these extremes. It's not just two extremes. There's multiple extremes. Satan's aim is to destroy. So whenever we engage in self-destructive behavior of any kind, there is a sense in which we are engaging with the demonic. God is the giver of life. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Satan desires death. It means Satan's gonna come at us with lies. Why are the lies there? To destroy us, not to mess with us, not to trip us up, not to skin our knee, to destroy us. So those lies that we have a tendency to believe about our worth or lack of worth thereof, those lies we have a tendency to believe that either cause us to overesteem ourselves or underesteem ourselves, those aren't there to just trip us up. They are there to destroy us, to rob us of joy, to rob us of peace. They are there to destroy through condemnation, those voices of condemnation, not conviction, which clearly says, hey, you're guilty of doing this. And you go, wow, you're right, Lord, let me repent and turn from that. But condemnation, wow, you stink, you're terrible, all about you, da 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 Destruction. He'll do it through physical persecution. And great things, uh, insanity of God, Nick Ripken. What's, what's the ultimate purpose of physical persecution? It's to try to kill Christians. Why? To shut the mouth of the witness of the gospel. His aim is destruction. This means self-destructive actions. And I want to say this carefully. Because the younger generations you go today, the mass increase of self-destructive behavior you find and I'm not saying that every young person who has an eating disorder or who engages in cutting or who deals with suicidal thoughts, I am not saying that every one of them is somehow oppressed and, and, and possessed by a demon. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if Satan's end is to destroy people, then when we take part in self-destructive actions, we are walking in line with the demonic at the minimum because that's what the enemy's goal is. 
But what's the fate of the demonic? Well, we see Jesus defeated every temptation Satan threw at him. We see that his minute in Matthew 4, we see that Jesus' incarnate ministry demonstrated there was never a demon that even caused Jesus to sweat. In fact, every demon who saw Jesus sweated intensely. We see that Jesus' death broke Satan and the demonic power hold on the earth. That we see that Jesus limits the ability of Satan and the demons, right? Job, hey, God, I've been wandering the earth. There's no one who really loves you for you. And God says, well, look at Job. And he says, ah, if you'll let me mess with Job, and right, what does God say? Well, you can do this, but you can't do this. Satan can't do more than what God allows him to do. Not only that, but what does Jesus turn and say to Peter? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan is limited even now. We know that Jesus is given a type of his authority uh, over the demonic to his followers. We know that demons are unable to be redeemed. Their fate is already sealed. Some are already in the eternal fire and the others are just waiting for it to happen. So what about, before we come to the final deal, what about, and this is important, what about demonic possession? Yes, it's real. We see it in scripture. If it's in scripture, it's real. It happens. However, it's never presented in scripture as normal. It's never presented like 75% of the population is running around possessed by a demon. It's always certain instances and individuals, which means this, a lot of us today go, man, ah, the demonic, they're not really active. We don't see a lot of demon possessed people around. Guess what? That's not the normal mode of operation for the demonic. It is a mode of operation, but it's not the normal mode of operation. What do you do if you were to actually come into somebody in contact with someone who has a demon? Well, scripture's clear that God has granted in Christ the ability and the power to, to cast out demons in his name, but it's also clear in scripture that it's gonna happen through prayer, Matthew nine, or Mark 9, and don't dare think that it's just a formula that you can recite and cause it to come out like giving two ibuprofen for a headache. Because that's what the guys in Acts do when they go, oh, there's a demon-possessed guy. Let's go do what those guys did. We went in there and they go in there and they try to cast this guy out. And of course, it's, it's one of those great junior high boy stories because all of the guys who go in there to cast this demon out, the demon-possessed demon guy beats the snot out of them, rips all their clothes off and they got to run through the town butt naked because they got beaten down by a demon because they thought they could cast out a demon using a formula and ignoring the words that Christ taught them. So if you encounter a demon, pray in Jesus' name. You can follow the example of, of, of the archangel Michael. May the Lord rebuke you, but also be cautious into what you dive into with anything promoting demon possession. I was, I was at youth camp in college working as a small group leader. Uh, and my youth pastor, my, obviously I was, I was in college with my youth pastor. My youth pastor, he busts in the door. He looks straight at me. He goes, hey, I need you to come watch my cabin. I got to go deal with something. So I, I walk down the half a mile to the cabin and I'm hanging out with these seventh and eighth grade boys who were ridiculous and seventh and eighth grade boys. And like two hours goes by. What is going on? 
Jeremy comes back. He looks, this is the last night of camp. Everyone's going home the next day. He just looks absolutely drained. So I didn't ask him what's going on. I just went, hey, everything's good. And I walked back. So here's what was really going on. There was a young man who had come to camp who had, um, and I, I could not tell you what kind, but had some kind of a, a special need that really impaired him in, in, in mentally functioning. I mean, he, he was, he's probably someone who will always have to live with a caretaker. But his older brother was there and he got in to some of this crazy charismatic stuff, felt like that all was demo, a, a demon possession, went over to the camp speaker who also was a little into that and we didn't know it. And the reason Jeremy came and got me is because the camp speaker was trying to perform an exorcism on this kid at camp. So be cautious, be cautious. Now let me also be clear. A demon can only possess someone who is not in Christ. If you are in Christ, saved by grace through faith, it is impossible. Hear the word, impossible. There is no ability in Christ for you to be possessed by a demon because the hole, if you want to use that imagery, the hole in your heart has been filled and sealed by the Holy Spirit and no demon can touch it. Can you and I be oppressed by a demon? Multiple demons outwardly coming at us with thoughts or coming at our body? Sure, but we cannot be possessed. And anybody who tells you otherwise, that is a lie straight from the enemy and they're quoting it. We also see that demons are behind idols and false religions. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's having the conversation about meat offered to idols and he makes the statement that demons are behind all the false religions. So is there a demon named Allah? I don't know if there's a demon named Allah, but I know behind the worship of Allah are demons. Pick another God, Baal. I don't know if there's a demon named Baal, but I know behind the worship of Baal, there are demons. By the way, gods don't have to be names with idols. Gods can also be naturalism, humanism, Marxism, communism, those are also ideologies demons are behind. Not only this, but scripture is clear. I'm just gonna give you these to write them down um, for the sake of time. Isaiah 8, 19 through 22. Isaiah 8, 19 through 22. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Acts 19, 17 through 20. Acts 19, 17 through 20. But the reality is that demons are behind all, let me rephrase this. Because demons are real, witchcraft and sorcery are real. Now I'm not saying that Casper and Wendy the ghost is witchcraft and sorcery. But understand, Scripture speaks very clear about things associated with actual witchcraft, sorcery, demons, the occult. And it is a always prohibition on the life of a believer to associate with any of it. There's never a time that believers are given permission to associate with it. So think about our world, spirit animals. That comes out of Native American religion, horoscopes, witchcraft, black magic, Ouija boards, psychics, witches. 
We have no business taking part because those are means by which you can play with the demonic. I'm not saying every, every person who engages that comes case to face with a demon. What I am saying is all of those things done in real can set you in, in line with that. And those, that is considered a sin in scripture. So what do we do? Well, hang on. So we need to be cautious because those things have all been popularized and made cute in our world today. One of the things we had at Central for the College, you'd walk in the, the gym and we, our greeter team would always have a Sunday morning, you know, something goofy. And you, so you'd write your name on your name tag and the answer to the question. So maybe the question was favorite cereal. So I'd write Wes Wilkinson and I'd put Apple Jacks. I, I, I don't know, that's not my favorite cereal, but just I'm thinking of something on the fly. Apple Jacks, right? Well, one morning I walk in and the sign said, what's your spirit animal? Now, here's why I say this. I didn't blow up because I know what really is behind that because there has been such a watering down of anything taught on aspects of the occult and witchcraft and sorcery inside of the church because so many of those things with the advent of social media and various shows have been turned. Really what the greeter team wrote was, what your, if you could be any animal, what would you be? That's what they meant. But no one had trained them to recognize the danger of writing, what is your spirit animal? Because what is your spirit animal is very different than, what, if you could be any animal, what would you be? It's very different. So just grandparents, parents, married, singles, specialists were in of all months to do this, October, with all the various things of Halloween. I'm not saying your kid can't dress up in a fun costume and go get, get, uh, get uh, uh, some, some candy. Um, my sister got like $5 from half the houses in the neighborhood when she had this goofy little $5 Frankenstein costume as a four-year-old. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this, there are some real discussions to be had there are some real cautions to be taken. Not because if you walk into a costume shop, there's a demon behind every costume, but because when you really do engage in real sorcery and magic, it is real. We don't think it's real because a lot of us don't really have a supernatural worldview. We know the Bible says they're demons, but we don't really walk and realize what they are. So what do we do? And this is intentional for me to end here. I'm gonna give you three takeaways but this is actually where we're gonna pick up next week. In light of all this stuff, heaven, hell, angels, demons, and scripture says our battle, our battle today, church family, according to scripture, is not with what party runs Congress. It's not with Vladimir Putin and Russia threatening nuclear warfare. It's not with the homosexual agenda. Our battle today is against rulers and powers of spiritual darkness, according to scripture. So how are we gonna fight that battle in light of all of this? Because that's the actual battle for eternity that's raging until Jesus comes back. We'll talk about that next week, but just so you don't come away with no takeaway this week, three simple things in relation to the demons. We gotta be alert. We gotta put on the armor, Ephesians chapter six and James chapter four, six through nine. You gotta stand up and stand against. You gotta be alert. First Peter five, verse eight. You gotta put on the armor, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and you gotta stand against the enemy and his taxes. And by the way, what does James 4 say? Humble yourselves before the Lord. That's one. Resist the devil and he will flee. Why? 
Because if you are in Christ, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Lord God Almighty, has filled you, has sealed you, lives inside of us. And we'll look at this Sunday in James. What does it say? Even the demons have correct theology. And what does it produce in their life? And I, I hadn't studied this word before this week, really. It says, your Bible will say, and they shudder. But that word shudder, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And it is literally a word for violent, convulsing, shaking, because your hair is standing on end out of the sheer terror of what is in front of you. That's what the word means. That's what the demons feel towards God. So whether it's facing simple temptation as the enemy whispers doubts and lies in your mind this week, whether it's facing something as crazy as someone who's demon-possessed, whether it's facing black matter, whatever form we may be finding ourselves in assaulting, understand this, we've been freed in Christ. Not one of us ever has to fall to the enemy's lies. We possess the ability, the power, and the might, and the knowledge of the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us to say no. And they're terrified of our king. So let's make sure we know truth. Uh, let me, let me uh, pray and we, we will pick up next week with just really taking all of what we've looked at the last couple of weeks and putting it together practically in our lives with how we live, move, and breathe. So uh, let me pray for us tonight. Jesus, um, Lord, I'm so grateful. Lord, it's, it, it terrifies me, the, the, the nature of, of things that are dangerous that I can see. Lord, it scares me to wake up, to read news articles, to see the direction of where our culture's going, to see the direction of where schools and education are going, to see things about nuclear warfare, and then to go, holy smokes, how am I gonna raise my daughter in this? Lord, it scares me. But here's what's even crazier, Lord, is those things aren't even the most dangerous enemy that's coming against me and my family. The most dangerous and most powerful things are are. are are beings that I can't even see. But Jesus, they shudder in terror at the glory of who you are. So Lord, it is time for us as believers, as your children, it is time for us to wipe the fog from our eyes to carry out a supernatural worldview in terms of reality and to recognize we are living in a battle of spiritual proportions. God, and it is time to do so not with fright in our spirit, but with humility in our hearts and confidence at the greatness and glory of who you are because you are on your throne. And even when Satan rebelled and took a third of the angels with him, you were still secure on your throne. Jesus, I think of the song, Hail, Hail, Lion of Judah, Roar. Father, may we not walk around with rounded shoulders, heads down, timid in the midst of a, a world raging that is reflective of the real battle that's going on in the spiritual places. Lord, may we walk with humble hearts but high heads because we are confident you are our God, you are our king, and you're not just a king, you're the warrior king, and you've already won. So may we walk around like people of hope, alert, fully armored, 
standing firm. Jesus, thank you. You are worthy. It's in your name I pray. Amen.